He only turns up for a few verses in the book of Genesis. And yet there's an entire chapter in the New Testament that uh, amplifies, illuminates, and takes advantage of his Old Testament appearance. Let's talk today about the priestly order of Melchizedek on Beyond the Notes. Genesis 14, verses 17 through 20, 17, 18, 19, 24 verses in the Old Testament given to Melchizedek's appearance in the life of Abram, uh, whom later we will be calling Abraham. But this, this mysterious priest king of Salem ends up illustrating and establishing a priesthood that comes to be occupied by and as the priesthood of our great high priest, Jesus. Hebrews chapter 7 describes, I think, at least five things about the priestly order of Melchizedek. Um, so Hebrews chapter 7, I'm not going to just try to read the whole chapter, but I'm going to point out some things in the chapter about the Melchizedek priesthood. Now, before I go any further, I want to address one sort of subtopic within the subtopic. That's what Beyond the Notes is for. There's a subtopic within the subtopic of Melchizedek. Some have guessed that Melchizedek is what is called a theophany or Christophany. Often those terms are used pretty interchangeably. And that is an appearance in somewhat human form of God the Son on earth prior to his coming in, in Je as Jesus of Nazareth in the Christ event. That there are times in the Old Testament, and there are, when, when a person appears who in fact is God appearing in human form briefly. Sort of a God cameo, if that's not too casual a way to put it, and it probably is. But a theophany or Christophany. We have at least one, I think, in the book of Genesis. We're a few chapters away from it, but in Genesis 32, the man who wrestles all night with Jacob, I believe, is in fact God the Son. The angel of the Lord who appears to Balaam in Numbers 22. The commander of the Lord's army who shows up to speak to Joshua the night before the final conquest of Jericho. These are theophanic appearances of God prior on earth prior to the uh, actual coming of Jesus. A few things distinguish them. Number one, I think most appearances that are, are spoke where we hear about the angel of the Lord as opposed to an angel of the Lord, when it's the definite article, the angel of the Lord, perk up your radar, it may well be a theophany. And then another thing, and this differentiates them from Melchizedek, as far as I'm aware, and if there's an exception, uh, put it down below in the comments and let me have a chance to run it down. These theophanies are never given a specifically human name. They might be given a title, they might be given an identity, but they're not named like people have names. There's not, there's not okay, this was Fred, or in our case, 
here, this was Melchizedek. Therefore, I have concluded Melchizedek is not a theophany. Melchizedek was a, a merely human uh, priest who was a follower of the God who is, independent of the line of what God was doing to reach down to Abram, ultimately through Abraham and Sarah, to give, to give birth to the Hebrew nation. As I said on the Lord's day, Melchizedek is a Gentile in that he is not connected to Abraham, his family, or his descendants in any way. He is, however, a priest. Now, the first paragraph of Hebrews 7 sort of recaps what went on in Genesis 14. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And to him Abraham apportioned a tenth part of everything. He is first, by translation of his name, king of righteousness. That's what Melchizedek means. And then he is also king of Salem, that is, king of peace. He is without father or mother or genealogy. Now, that doesn't mean he didn't have a mom or a dad or a genealogy. It means that in the text, in the record, he is without father, mother, or genealogy. He turns up, unlike the later priests who have to be of the tribe of Levi within the priesthood established by Moses' brother Aaron, this priest, we don't, know, we don't know who his parents were, having neither beginning of days nor end of life. Again, doesn't say he never died. It means that he, we have no record of his life outside these just few verses in Genesis. But resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. That is, the priesthood of Melchizedek continues Forever, which leads to the first characteristic of the Melchizedek priesthood that's superior to the priesthood of, of Aaron. It's eternal. The priesthood of Aaron, the Levitical priesthood, is associated with the, the Jewish law. And the, the, the law um, and the Jewish temple system is in an utter shambles today. If Jesus, our high priest, was a high priest after the order of Aaron, first he'd have to be a Levite. He's not. He's uh, from the tribe of Judah. And, and second, his priesthood would be lying in wreckage around him, and his priesthood isn't. So the first thing we see about the priesthood of Jesus under Melchizedek, uh, the Melchizedek order, is that it is eternal. The next paragraph, Hebrews uh, 7, verses 4 through 10, just established that it is, a, it is a superior priesthood. And the way the author of Hebrews makes the argument is everything in the tribe of Levi is under the representative headship of Aaron. As Aaron is the father of the Hebrew nation, Aaron is the father, I mean, Hebrew, uh, Abraham is the father of the Hebrew nation. Abram is thus the father of ultimately the Levites and the Levites des descend, come below Abram. But Abram himself comes below Melchizedek, who, who gave him a blessing and who received from him the tithes. So Melchizedek, in a sense, is, is uh, superior to Abram and all that descends from Abram. So it's a superior priesthood. It's an eternal priesthood. Third, it's a saving priesthood. The next paragraph of Hebrews 7, verses 11 down through 22 make the point that the priesthood of Aaron, the Levitical priesthood of the Jewish law, the Hebrew law priesthood, 
never could, never would, and never did save anybody. The purpose of the law of, of Moses was not to save. The purpose of the, the covenant of the law was to drive people to understand their need for a savior. Of course, also to establish some civil order for the newfound nation of Israel that would come after the exodus from Egypt. But that covenant and the priesthood of that covenant had no saving uh, priestly interdiction. Not so the priesthood of Jesus on the order of Melchizedek, because Melchizedek's priesthood is a priesthood of salvation by grace through faith. Remember, the specific blessing of Melchizedek is a Melchizedek uh, blessing to Abram. God has blessed you with that which you do not deserve. Specifically, the victory over the alliance of kings, but broadly, salvation by grace through faith. Believing God and having that count for righteousness, as we'll see stated in chapter 15 of Genesis. It's a eternal priesthood. It's a superior priesthood. It's a saving priesthood. The next paragraph, just verses 23 through 25, establish that it is a unique priesthood. Let me read these verses. The former priests, that is the priests of the Aaron priesthood, the priest of the Levitical priesthood, the Mosaic priesthood, the priesthood of the Jewish temple. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he, Jesus, holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. We have no scriptural record of the end of Melchizedek, though, of course, he died as a human being. But, but in scripture, there's no record of his death. There's no record of his end. In scripture, there is no record of Jesus's end because Jesus will have no end. Though he died, he was resurrected and lives forever. And so Jesus alone is in the priesthood of Melchizedek. After I preached this message on Genesis 14 on the Lord's Day, I was approached after one of the services by someone who has long been saved, but who came out of Mormonism. And I either never learned this or I had forgotten it, that in Mormonism, there is a, a high order of what it calls itself the Melchizedek priesthood that Mormon men uh, are told they ought to aspire to. Well, it's one more load of hogwash from the Mormons in that the Melchizedek priesthood is occupied by two people, Melchizedek, who's long gone, and Jesus, the sole heir of the unique Melchizedek priesthood, as he stands the intercessor between sinful men and holy God which leads us to the final characteristic of the Melchizedek priesthood. It is perfect. The last paragraph of Hebrews 7 says, For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those other high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests. But the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect 
forever. The priesthood order of Melchizedek. Eternal, superior, saving, unique, and perfect, and occupied by the one and only God the Son, Jesus Christ. Well, I hope this has been helpful. I know it's been a fast survey of a fascinating chapter, but uh, I hope it was a blessing to you. And I hope by now you are liking and sharing and telling your friends about our podcasts here at McGregor, including this one, Beyond the Notes.